These tools are for you to use. Hey, I'm Dave Marr. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My guest this week is Kennedy Bartley. Kennedy is one of the coolest new people I've met over the last year. Um, She is the legislative director for an organization called United Working Families. And I met Kennedy through a group working to defund the motherfucking police in Chicago, doing the unsexy work of figuring out what is actually possible to defund legally in the budget and how to justify it, how to, how to build the movement. So I was very excited to talk to Kennedy about stuff other than just our, our spreadsheet and Google Doc work, I definitely tailored this interview sort of similar to the Vico Alvarez episode a couple weeks ago. Um, if this is your first time here in the show, welcome. Thank you for listening. There's all sorts of great episodes uh, in the past, but for you, coming up in the future to listen to, if you haven't yet. So enjoy those. If you have heard the show and you're coming back and you like the show, please support the show. There are several ways you can do that. The best one is to go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr and pledge a little bit of money every month. That will support me existentially, emotionally, but even more importantly, make it possible for me to keep doing this independently the way that I do it and make it better and better. I also want to thank my Pigeon-level patrons on Patreon, Fred Fidua, Katie Llewellyn, Susie Carroll, and Kurt Chang. And so, but there are other ways to support the podcast as well. You can write a review, you can subscribe, or you can just tell a friend. On Patreon are those extended episodes, so you can hear even more from Kennedy if you subscribe to Patreon. So thank you for listening. And enjoy my conversation here with Kennedy Bartley. I grab your whip and take it back to Shotown. When I'm in Shotown, I treat it like So maybe you can just tell me which of these I can get away with, okay? Please, yeah. Hit okay, with. so so we we said bet bet I can get away with. Um, man, I would love it if I could get away with on God. Do you think I can get away with on God? I would love to, I'm going to set you up during this interview to say on God and for people to be like, that makes sense. That's on God. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, or that part, man, I would really love that part. Oh, that part. Yes. I think you could, let me see. Between the two on God and that part, you could definitely say that part. Yeah. Yeah. I think on God is like it. Yeah. It's a little. Okay. If I say something like resonates with you though, you could be like on God. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know what these things mean. I'm just wondering if I can. If you can say them. If I can. Well, yeah, not if I have permission, but if I can get away with like saying them without being like, hello, fellow teens style, you know? Hello, fellow teens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I think <laughs> I, I think that uh, that part is probably the safest bet. Okay, let's see. What else do- so a lot of these are like, I've been saying these things in chat boxes all year, and mm. now it's like going into the world, I have to decide, okay, am I going to be the guy that I was in like the abolition panel chat box, or am I going to go backwards, you know? So 
I'm I'm mixed on slaps. Like if something slaps, like I I don't I don't know Ooh. if I even if I even like it that much. I think I can get away with it. It just I don't love it as a as a slang. So E40 clarified when you can and can't use slaps. Okay. According, to, I could have this reversed. My partner put me onto this. Food smacks music slaps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You only say music slaps, but you can't say food slaps, if that makes sense, according to E40. Yeah, but then I think people use it kind of ironically, like this mac and cheese slaps, but then it starts to become less ironic and more real. Yeah, I was not being ironic. I was like, damn, this slaps. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. that in earnest. Totally, totally. Okay, we're in a very like racist territory here. I'm literally just asking you, what's the new slang I got I wonder if this is going to be in the interview. <laughs> yeah, I wonder too, man. I don't know. The other thing I was thinking I, is yeet. I don't think I can do yeet. I think so. uh, no yeet, no yeet. But what if we? I was also like, we could do a youth-focused abolition campaign that's like yeet cops. Cops, yes, correct. Yes, <laughs> okay. Yes, last one. Oh, over. <laughs> last two are Stan. Uh, like we stand a blah blah blah. It's just like a, it's a little corny to no. me. And no. fuck shit, which is not. I don't feel like it's super current, but I've been like thinking about like people being on some fuck shit, and that's like. Did you just censor fuck but say shit? No, you said like some shit. No, like I said the full word. You just you oh, had, we okay. had a weird connection, probably. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I was like, why can we not say fuck on this show? <laughs> no, man, no, no, no. It's just like, yeah, you know, like if someone's just like getting up to some bullshit, you're like, ah, uh, that dude's on some fuck shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, fuck shit. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought this was gonna be more, um, l- more conversationally generative than me just being like listing like words that are sound weird in my mouth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think of the two yeet and fuck shit, I would tell you to table, let leave fuck shit to the professionals and yeet. I think you should yeet your heart out. Oh, no way. I feel like I can do fuck shit. I feel like I can do fuck shit and I can't do yeet. Well, shit, Dave. I mean, <laughs> it feels like an age thing to me. I feel like yeet is like, you have to be like 19 to be saying yeet. You could be like, yeah. I mean, like you, you have to say yeet. Like I write, like you can't be like serious. Like being like, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But like fuck shit, like in, in earnest, like if you're really just like, man, dude was on some fuck shit. I would not be like, Dave. Whoa. Right. Why would you say? Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. Fuck shit. You're hard. But if I was like, I went to Mariano's and they yeeted that one kind of pizza that I really like. I don't think they sell that shit anymore. I would be like, I think that would. Huh. Uh, I would okay, okay, Dave, you could have said that in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but I really did want to ask you. Okay. How do you say comrade without feeling corny? Cause you do, right? I say comrade. Yeah. Yeah. Mainly like I'm not just out here calling anybody, just anybody comrade though, off the strength of we're on the same zoom call. Okay. You know, 
I think that like for me, comradeship comes with like, first of all, like trust, you know, and I feel like it's kind of like, I don't know, like somewhat honorable feeling when someone calls me comrades. I'm like, damn, I earned that shit. And so you don't feel corny when you're talking to a real one, adorning them as a real one, you know? Okay. So it's not like anyone in the movement gets a comrade from you. I mean, I think that like folks who I feel comradeship with get it. Like folks who like, yeah. I mean, because like the the movement is large and vast, and right. Well, I feel like there would be some people who would argue that you like treat someone comradely, and then that's how you turn them into a comrade. But you're saying there's a there's a you got to earn it first. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going to treat everyone comradely. But you're not going to call. Well, there's like, a difference between the noun and the adverb. Yes, correct. So, what does someone correct. have to do to become the noun? That's a big ass question, Dave. I feel like you should have sent these questions beforehand. No way, no, man. I'm, I'm here to ask the big ass questions, oh, baby. Yeah, this is good. Um, I don't know. I feel like it would be weird if I had like a check, check. Well, check yeah. Obviously, there's you know not like saying? a checklist. Yeah, I feel like just kind of like, like folks that like. I think for me, honestly, Dave. Now that I think, like, I've been thinking a lot over the past year or so over like uh, about like um, responsibility and commitment, and I think that for me, comrades are folks that I feel have taken up the responsibility and made a commitment to this work as being like their life's work that for me is a comrade. What Uh, else are you thinking about responsibility and commitment? um, I think a lot about like why I never take breaks from work. Like one of my very close cousins passed away and I literally like worked the day of his wake, you know, and it's just because of like this level of responsibility and commitment. And I also want to like be clear though, I'm not saying like, unless you're not taking time to grieve your family members, you're not committed or responsible. I'm saying like that instance, I think is what brought back up like this idea of like, okay, why am I feeling like this lack of prioritizing of like my, my own health and wellness and like rest. And it's because of like the, commitment and responsibility and I guess like an unhealthy relationship to that commitment or responsibility or I don't want to judge it I don't know but that's I don't know that's that's just what I've been thinking about um yeah just like not that it requires unhealthy commitment but that your commitment can lead to unhealthy things sometimes the commitment and responsibility that I feel yeah So normally I wait till the end and I ask people like, what's your coma? Cause I was in this coma for a month and you were in a coma? yeah, that's like, that's like if I have a story, that's my story is I was in a coma for a month. Uh, people thought I died cause I was almost taken off life support. Then everyone posted eulogies for me on Facebook. Then I made two one man shows and there's a piece on this American life. That's the like capsule who I am as a person slash comedian. 
what do you mind? I mean, I feel like it's rude to ask people why they're in it, but then. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No, I so combo, combo platter, type one diabetes and uh, pre sobriety addiction stuff. So, uh, yeah, it. no, it would be pretty weird if I just like threw all that at you and then was like, yeah, I was like, and mm. I'm not available for questions. Yeah, if you were like, that's really fucked up that you would ask me that. I'd be like, not for sure, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> that's on God, man. That's on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, on God, dude. <laughs> I like how you just yeet that in there. Yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. So, <laughs> wait, you can yeet yeah. something in? I thought you just had to yeet something. I thought yeet was I, a way. When you get to a certain level of sauce, Dave, you get to use all of this however you want. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeet, just like, just like abolition, yeet is about presence and absence. <laughs> Dude, that's like you just like created a legend right there. That's like uh, Ruth Wilson Gilmore, Miriam <laughs> Cabo level quote shit right there, dude. No man, I appreciate that, Dave. Yeah, so, what's man. my coma? Well, you so mean, like, what would put me in a coma? Well, no, because okay. for me, this is a, this is a moment where there's a clear before and after in my life. Like for me, a lot of it's about like sobriety. But other things too. And normally I ask people in general what your coma is, just anything with a clear before and after. But I'm curious for you, if you don't mind focusing specifically on movement stuff, on radicalization, whatever. I mean, I guess that's really what I'm asking is like what radicalized you. But you're talking about this commitment and this responsibility. Like was there a moment or was there a period of time that took you from person without this specific commitment and responsibility to having it so much you're willing to work the day of your cousin's wake yeah i think that something really interesting that's been coming up for me recently not recently like recently as in like the last year like there was i remember i like really started like, I guess like this type of work in 2014, when I first moved to the city, it was like to Chicago, to Chicago. Yeah. Um, and you know, like it was the year of Mike Brown's murder, Eric Garner's murder, uh, the year I believe of like the Zimmerman trial. um, My coma was in 2014. Pardon me. My coma was in 2014. Your coma was in 2014. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Well, yeah, big year. Yeah. And, you know, God bless the dead. Um, but that was like a big year of like radicalization for me. Um, and similar to now, like I got like pretty obsessive so much so that I like burned out like by like 2016, 2015, 2016. And like, kind of like took a step. I like was I like kind of just like went in like a period of like, deep study, I guess, and like sharpening of like the philosophical or ideological side of my politics. And then like in like 2017 got more like on the ground doing stuff again. Um, And during that entire thing, one thing that like remained consistent from like 2014, really up until like 2020, 2019, like I was fully committed to like, I will die for this shit. 
like my mom, my dad, like my family would be like, I remember like a bull, uh, a cop told me like he put a bullet in me or something. And we got into like a pushing thing, like a put whatever. And like, you know, my parent or my, my parents, my mom, my grandma, stepdad, they would all be like, yo, you're going to get killed. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, just committed to like, I would die for this. And now like, so I think my coma, I guess it's not like one event. It's just like a, I, my, my ode to maturation. Um, and it's like, I think that it's a real special responsibility and commitment. Like when you're like willing to like commit your life to this shit, you know, versus like, I'll just die for this. Shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, and I think oh, like that. So wait, you're saying that it's a bigger commitment to frame the commitment less as, oh, I die for this and more like, I'm planning to live for this. I am living for this. Yeah. You know, and I think that that for me is like, yeah, that's my coma. It's interesting that we're using like this like language of something that's literally like on the precipice, like in purgatory of like life and death. Um, And I'm talking about the shift in like my approach to movement as it pertains, like if I'm willing to live or die for it. So, yeah. So what, so I can imagine those like, you know, Mike Brown and Eric Garner stuff, like the re- the way that that radicalizes you, but what causes the evolution from I die for this to I want to live for this? Uh, I think I think about like the folks that I've lost, like personally, like, you know, my little cousin Trayvon was like shot and killed when he was 14 and I was like a freshman in college. Um, and then one of my best friends like passed away when he was 22 and I was like going into my senior year of college. And then, you know, my cousin D passed away like a little over a month ago, he's 32. Um, and I think about like one, like on like less of a political level, like all of those folks and like, you know, with Trayvon, I'm like, okay, when I was 14 and then think about like, like how much I've been able to contribute to like the world through my journey of bettering myself, but how much more I'm able to like appreciate and like really enjoy the world um, now, like versus like when I was 14 or like, you know, Kwanye, my best friend, like he was 22, he was a year older than me when he passed. Now I think about like, I don't know. It's just like kind of, I think I think about like, like, have I like, would I have done enough by the time that someone like shot and killed me for me to have done the thing that I wanted to do before I passed away? You know, like, I, I think that like, I am much more like, I find time much more attractive than I used to. And I, I think that like, I also find like, uh, like the messiness or like the tenuous, like, you know, like the, the long protracted shit. Like I'm really into that now. And really? I don't think I, yeah. Like I'm, I'm like just really big on like infrastructure building and process, like in my personal life and like work-wise, like I'm like, it's messy. It's going to take a really long time. And like, it's going to feel so good once we, once the thing's built, you know, or once like we get to that place and like, 
we're gonna I don't know. Like I yeah, I, I feel like that was like a really messy answer, but I appreciate no, this no. conversation. Yeah, it's it's more it's like really like I think just like a different conceptualization or like a different approach to time and like yeah. Cause I always think honestly, I'm like, man, like Kanye would have graduated school mm-hmm. that following year and like I wonder like what he would be doing. You know, or like my little cousin who was 14, I'm like you know, it's just like, damn, and like it, yeah. Okay, so I have two questions. Pick which one you want to answer. How, okay. what does it mean to build infrastructure in your like personal life? Slash, mm-hmm. do you get frustrated building infrastructure? To be like, oh, it's going to feel so good when this thing gets built versus, okay, but there's like work that we need this thing for that's not getting done by building this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so first question about like, what does building infrastructure look like in your personal life? Um, I think for me, like intentionality is like what infrastructure building looks like. Like, I like am just... I don't know. I'm like so committed to like, just like feeling good and like being like, quote unquote, not good, but like, just like really like being like kind and like, I don't know, like tapped into like people. Like uh, I like really like celebrate, I guess, like a level of like um, sensitivity that I have um, and like, just like a, yeah, like a commitment to me feeling good and like making sure that like the folk, like just putting out like the shit that I want to get, like, I guess into the world. Um, and so for me, I think like infrastructure building is like intentionality about like how you're living and like thinking about, like, I always am like checking in, like, is this aligned with like the person I want to be? Like, does this get me to the place of the person I want to be? And so with that comes intentionality, you know, like you can't yeah. just like, like, I'm trying to like just give something concrete. Well, it's not like like you're building a building. It's like you're building a process, like a way of moving through the world. You're like, I want to be this way, not like, oh, I see these people. These are my Sunday brunch people. These are my Thursday softball game people. Yeah, not like a regiment, not regiment in the sense that like it needs to be like, I don't need to be a computer per se. More so like therapy for me is infrastructure building and like deep self work is infrastructure building, right? Like you're like building the things that like, okay, at some point in time, something's going to try me. But if I built the right infrastructure, I'm going to stay solid. Like I'm going to continue to be like, uh, committed to making myself happy and like committed to like being tapped into other people and committed to this work. Like, you know, so long as I'm like building the infrastructure, if that makes sense, doing yeah, the pre-work, you know, it, it does make sense. I th- I think it's, it's really interesting. Cause it's like, it makes me realize I spent so much of my life, like doing that kind of work, but doing it so focused on myself that like this metaphor of infrastructure is and and the idea of using the work again and like preparing yourself for future pain or hardship or whatever just is is a it's just nice to have new metaphors 
And, yeah. and the way a metaphor is useful and the way that by being so like inward focused for so much of my life. And I think part of it is being, is the like untethered thing that comes with being white or mother, or maybe it's moving around a bunch as a kid, or maybe it's just like my temperament is like defaults to very selfish, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So, but to have this like more, community global perspective of like seeing yourself as part of a network with people and seeing the work you're doing as seeing the person you're becoming as protective of the type of work you're doing like oh if i'm in a better headspace better able to handle depression next time i'll be able to write better statements with people when the police do some fucked up shit later down the line, if that makes sense to be like specific about it. Yeah. Or even like, if I like build the infrastructure to deal with depression the next time, like I get, I will be in a better position to be kinder to the people around me. Yeah. Like when that happens, you yeah, know? it's funny. I'm still thinking about it, like work and like getting work done, but yeah, relationships yeah, too. Yeah. Also, like, But this is it, right? Like with abolition, like being an abolitionist, like really being mindful of like, how do we practice abolition interpersonally and like yeah. in our personal lives? Right. And like, so that's what I mean. And that's why I preface that answer with like my commitment to like trying to be like kind and trying to be like graceful with myself, because those are the things that like I am building the infrastructure for, you know, yeah. and all of goes into work and you know like the thing with d kind of like how i my cousin that passed away kind of how i like have justified or like rationalized like why i still really haven't taken a break to grieve his passing is that you know like in his he passed away i got back um i'm trying to think of the timeline but shortly after he passed away uh adam toledo was murdered and like you know folks in different spaces that i'm in were like wondering how do we you know, how do we respond to this? You know, like, what does the statement say? Like, what is the ask? And because I was feeling so particularly sensitive to like the sanctity of life and to what grief feels like and the collective trauma that we all experience in someone's loss, but like the personal trauma as well. Like I was able to like bring like this like perspective of like sometimes in honor of the sanctity of life, like all you you don't need to like you don't need to do anything except like yeah. you know like because i couldn't imagine if like when either of my cousins or my best friend passed like folks were like and donate below to you know it's oh, like, wow. like someone is gone you know and like they are gone and god willing they are like at peace but the people like their community is like really hurting. And like, so again, it's like, that's that like honoring and like sanctity piece that I think that like we get really removed from, but it's like things like that, that like, when I say I like kind of celebrate my sensitivity now, I used to be like, that's weak or like that makes me too emotion minded. But now Mm. it's like, no, like, yeah, that, I don't know. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, it, it makes me think of a couple things. Like one, just how, there are many things, especially the biggest and hardest things, that there's just actually no words for. It's like not having to do anything. It's just like, yeah, maybe honoring this life is like looking at each other in the eyes and like standing in sort of close proximity to each other. It's like, that's 
you know, like when you're super depressed, like my experience is like pushing people away because what I really want is for them to break through that and like come back to me even, even more. But it's like just sitting next to someone is like such a big help in depression. Mm -hmm. And it's like when you're, when you're grieving, when shit's hit the fan, it's like food. It's, Mm -hmm. it's being the, it's just being the, it's grabbing shampoo that they ran out of or whatever. I don't know. But then the other thing I think about is um, Elijah McClain. Like, and I, I think about his mom specifically because I donated to that GoFundMe for him. And I, you know, you get updates from GoFundMes. And his is the only one. Every time his mom updates, I go and check it out because she has the disconnect between personal grief and communal grief it's like one of the widest disconnects i've seen because she hates anyone using his last words which are intense like really moving fucked up last words about like the preciousness of life and how he doesn't hurt you know living beings or anything with his likeness you know it's kind of standard like it would make sense you don't want someone to like sell a shirt with your kid's face on it but she also is like, don't even say, don't even use his last words. Don't repeat them. And it's like in, in a way that she actually doesn't have control over. She wants to like control things that she, which is nothing to say about her. Just a human being can't control mm-hmm. how those things ripple out. And it's really, it's, it's just, it's very heartbreaking to watch, to yeah. watch that disconnect between that private grief and like how his death functions in the narrative, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, man. And it's just like, like we, we like get into the streets and like burn down fucking police departments when people pass because people have passed. Right. And like on paper, that sounds like folks are this, like enraged righteous righteously because a life is gone which like then gets that like oh because we honor life we blow shit up because of it but it's like no if we honored life we would listen to what the person closest to him wished because she is still here you know she gets to experience our honoring of her life but we don't do it and so that's when it's like you know like again like i think the intentions are like always good but like sometimes i think we have to like take a collective breath and be like wait like you know like we have to be human even when they're not um and human in the sense that like we are all connected and we have to like collectively like grieve and also center the folks who are like very obviously directly impacted and yeah man it's like if his mother is saying like what brings her peace is us not uttering a word that he that's all she has that that's her baby you know mm-hmm. and so it's just like yeah man i but it's tough too know. because part like she's also which is within her right but it is something that i disagree with like she's not like calling for abolition you know she's like she wants revenge she wants like and and it's this like divine justice will be meted out like 
all, you know, and, and, and I can so relate to the desire for revenge and all it's just, it's so human. She is like so messily human that I'm like, this woman is a, is a gift, like to be able to like, she's really putting herself out there mm-hmm. to observe. And yeah. I don't, I don't know though that like, I, I don't, I don't disagree with her. Like not, not agree or disagree. Like, I don't feel any way about her, like not calling for abolition though. Right. Because like, again, like she lost her baby, you know what I'm saying? And like, while I hope that like, first of all, like if I die, especially at the hands of the fucking pigs, like don't name shit after me, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to let piece of legislation named after me a road, none of that shit. But like, I would, I would be honored if that like, got more folks to abolition and i don't think that that's like i don't think that like um like folks need to like bear that you know what i'm saying like i i i think that in the midst of grief to then go a step further and say you should also now like be demanding abolition when like you know we can't and i'm not suggesting that you're saying but you know like no no but but i do know what you're saying yeah i wanted to like say the more the more strident thing not because i fully it's it's not that I like disapprove of her. It's just that it's like there is an interesting to observe friction between what I believe and how much my heart goes out to her. Goes out, yeah. Through what she's experiencing. Yes. Yeah. And it's like you know, like yeah, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to me that like shit, man. Like the police lynch black folks every day. Like, you know, shoot black folks and brown folks and you know, down every day in the street and there's still black folks and brown folks who are like not abolitionists, who are pro-police. And it's like, these are like your, you know, like these are the folks like mating, making us prematurely meet our makers, you know? And like, we're still pro. And it's just like, that's frustrating, but like shit, abolition is not going to bring our people back, you know? And so like, I think that that just like shows us what work we have to do. Right. Like we have to like show folks that like abolition because like not another like your baby or not, you know, like this is about safety, you know, and this is about like making it so that folks are taking care of each other and you have a community. So you're not grieving alone or you're not like shouting into a GoFundMe, you know. Right, right. So cool. So let's start the podcast. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> but I do, uh, I do want to switch. I do want to switch and and give you the the freedom not to have to like speak to the whole movement or or speak, uh, you know, in communal terms. But I just want to know what do you hope happens when you die? What do I hope happens when I die? Um, well, you know, I don't know if it's been clear throughout the course of this conversation, but I believe very heavily in God. Um, I don't like subscribe to any particular religion. Like I've been observing Ramadan and I'm not Muslim and do the sign of the cross when I pray, but I'm not Catholic and all of the things, you know, (laughs) um, uh, it's like kind of Baha'i style, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've never gone to that temple, but it looks really pretty. Well, they, they um, like do, I feel like they, they, um, kind of take 
everything. They take they All take from every religion. I don't know if they do exactly what you said, but yeah. As long as yeah. they're not taking people's money, it's my type of religion. <laughs> I, I gotta look at. I don't. It, I don't want to call myself in anything, but nevertheless, you know, it's really weird, Dave. Like I. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like the idea of like heaven terrifies me. And I've never said that out loud. But like when I think about like heaven as being the place that I go when I die, like my chest like gets tight. And so I really don't want to say like, I hope I don't go to heaven. But like what I hope happens when I die, honestly, is that like, okay, my favorite book, one of my favorite books uh is the unbearable likeness of being and it's like premised around like Nietzsche's uh you know like this theory of uh eternal return and it's mm-hmm. like I might butcher this a bit but it's basically like you know there are a finite amount of atoms there are a lot but it's still finite and so ultimately like this exact iteration of our lives is gonna happen again because there are only there are but so many atoms and they can only be you know arranged in a particular way so many times until it like starts to repeat itself And so, like, I would be down with something like that, like to like, I hope I don't have the consciousness of like, ah, living life again, because that sounds like a fucking drag. But like. For for now, like, yeah, probably just like something like that, but like, I mean, I, I would love to, like, see the people that I've lost again, you know, like that's I think that like since it's entered, I've lost like I think a good amount of people like either very close or like close enough. And it wasn't until D passed away where I've really like, it may seem obvious, but I've been like really realizing what death means. And like the fact that it means like, no, like you will never talk to this person again. And like, you will really like never hear that. Like that, that's what's been like really fucking with me. And so like, if there's a way to like see my people again, without it being heaven, I think, I hope that that's what happens. Because what about heaven panics you? I don't know. Like just this idea that it's like you're still like when I get there, I don't know. It's like it just feels too like it's like I don't want to do anything forever, you know, and it like feels too like not real almost like I get maybe it's just like my imagination and where that takes me to what heaven is like. But like, yeah, I'm just like, I don't, yeah. And it feels so weird to say, like, I'll probably pray a lot of times after this podcast for like forgiveness and for God to have like, you know, mercy on my soul. Because <laughs> I don't want to go to heaven. hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I don't, I don't want to go to hell. But, but, but what heaven are you picturing? It's just like, like we're walking on clouds and like everyone's just like really happy and like, I mean, I never imagine like people having sex in heaven or like, like, but I mean, if you're, if you're not tied to one religion and you have an an expansive enough conception of God, why do you have to have a limited view of what heaven is? I'm just a person, Dave. I don't know. Yeah, but I'm just saying, I just want to encourage you not to pray for forgiveness. You're right. That's the. That's the Catholic side. Again, no, I'm just kidding. People always forget about Catholicism. I was like, okay. <laughs> I think they all force you to feel guilt. But like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I do need to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. guilt is, is to me, 
it functions the same way culturally that liquor does, where it's like, oh, that's that Irish guilt. You know, it's like, oh, well, I'm Irish, so you know I like to drink. And someone's like, well, you know, I, I'm Russian, so we we like to drink. And someone's like, hey, I'm Mexican, so, you know, we like to drink. It's like, I think everybody <laughs> just likes to drink and feels guilty. Like, I think maybe that's just the human experience is drunkenness and guilt. Yep. Yep. Yeah, dude. I think you're right, Dave. And fuck guilt. Guilt is my least favorite feeling of all of the things. I just hate guilt. Second least favorite feeling is probably embarrassment. But guilt, dude. Oof. I hate that shit. And I experienced, I used, since I was a kid, I'm getting a lot better, but like, just feel guilty about things for months on end. Yeah. So weird, like weird shit. Unhealthy I'm, guilt. There's yeah, there's things that no matter how much work I do, I can like go back in time and like drill down into like, well, you've done everything within your power to resolve this, but uh maybe it's unresolvable and you just at heart are a, are trash. Well, Dave, no one's wholly good and no one's wholly bad. Bad. I, 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 it's, it's easy to tell another person that I know. Tell yourself though. Turn your if you've hidden self view on your Zoom, turn it back on and, and tell yourself. You know, selfie button. No, I'm I'm a lot better with guilt than I used to be though. Shout out to therapy. I I have a a, a premise for you, which is uh, I want you to relive one memory because in my last one man show. It's like Mm -hmm. set in the afterlife and I'm kind of giving people an orientation and I make this claim that in the afterlife, you get to choose one memory, but only one to fully relive. It's not that it becomes your only memory. You still have access to your other memories, but this is the one that becomes almost like a room that you get to drop down into it and re-experience everything that was a part of it. So if that were the case and you had to choose one, what would it be? One memory that I get to relive. I feel like someone's asking. This is like similar to like, what's the best moment of your life? But here's the thing. It's not. Here's why it's not. Because it's not the full pressure of a moment that has to encapsulate everything. The very best moment of your life. It's just like, mm-hmm. what is a moment that you would be comfortable hit and replay on over and over. Mm. Well, I don't know if it's like a, I ha- I have like a feeling that I would like to, no, that's not the question. Okay. No, what, what, what's the feeling? Yeah, I am such like a little sucker for love, but I just love the feeling. I love the feeling when like, I love like, the feeling of like when you've had a crush on someone and then you find out that they have a crush on you too. And it's like the first day you guys both know that you have a crush on each other. I would love to just relive that feeling over and over and over. Okay. And that doesn't set off. That doesn't trigger like a specific person for you to think about that. Unfortunately not. I mean, fortunately I should say not. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've well, but you've had that experience, right? With like three, three, four people. So, so what's a particularly 
memorable one of those three or four days that you had that experience? I don't know that I want to share that. Um, <laughs> okay, that's fine. They're all they're all all three or four of them are unshareably um, personal or X rated. No, it's just like it would just get, it would just be so obvious. Let me decide that. <laughs> well, you don't know everyone that's in my life presently, Dick. Like, I know. It would be so. It would be so. Like it would be obvious. Like who I'm talking about. Well, but aren't these people? But you've had these experiences, and it's been reciprocal. So why can't they know? They can know. Like, I would like to tell them. Like it's just like I don't know why I brought this up. Because you're right. This is like when you brought up the coma, and if I. I were to be like, what happened? And you were to be like, I can't tell you. Like, this feels similar. You know, I didn't think that you were going to ask a follow-up, you know? Yeah, that's what I like to do is just ask the most surface-level questions and get them done as quickly as possible. And uh, that's the podcast. And thanks so much for coming. It's a good podcast. Dave, I know that you'll never invite me on for part two. <laughs> Come into peace with that as we're, building, as we're moving. Hey, you said you were going to set, uh, set up a cliffhanger, so... <laughs> So maybe the cliffhangers, you're finally willing to talk about one loving relationship you've ever had in your whole fucking life. You're also fucking loving. Dave. But that's what I'm saying. Why can't, why are you, are you saying it's, is it, isn't it experience that's like so personal that it feels like yes. it's blowing up their spot. It's not yours to fully own and tell. Is that what you mean? It's like less of like blowing up the spot because like I love people out loud like in public, but it's like one of like it's like a we it was just us there for that. Mm. And so like if I tell the podcast, I mean you're fucking famous. Who knows how many ears this is gonna land on? I don't know. I appreciate like the I like the Well, I really don't appreciate the smirk you gave when you said I'm fucking famous. So you either need to <laughs> really land that and believe that, or you need to get my name and the career that I want out of your mouth. That's what I'm saying. You need to eat that shit, and that's on eat God. That <laughs> that's on God. <laughs> that is the show. Thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you to Kennedy for being cool as hell. Thank you to you for sticking around for the outro. If you liked the show, whether you've heard it before or not, tell a friend about it. Go to the Patreon and support the show. It really, really means a ton to me. And yeah, defund the fucking police. And I will talk to you next week. Miracles. Miracles. You can do them. Have faith. You are human. Only human and human beings they do.